four. I'd rather like Stephen to finish off abroad. It widens one's outlook on life. And listening to him, Anna also grew convinced. His certainty wore down her vague misgivings, and she saw herself playing with this little Stephen in the nursery, in the garden, in the sweet-smelling meadows. And himself the lovely young man, she would say, thinking of the soft Irish speech of her peasants. And himself with the light of the stars in his eyes and the courage of a lion in his heart. When the child stirred within her, she would think it stirred strongly because of the gallant male creature she was hiding. Then her spirit grew large with a mighty new courage, because a man-child would be born. She would sit with her needlework dropped on her knees, while her eyes turned away to the long line of hills that stretched beyond the Severn Valley. From her favourite seat underneath an old cedar, she would see these Malvern hills in their beauty, and their swelling slopes seemed to hold a new meaning. They were like pregnant women, full-bosomed, courageous, great green-girdled mothers of splendid sons. Thus, through all those summer months, she sat and watched the hills, and Sir Philip would sit with her. They would sit hand in hand. And because she felt grateful, she gave much to the poor, and Sir Philip went to church, which was seldom his custom, and the vicar came to dinner, and just towards the end many matrons called to give good advice to Anna. But man proposes, God disposes, and so it happened that on Christmas Eve Anna Gordon was delivered of a daughter, a narrow-hipped, wide-shouldered little tadpole of a baby that yelled and yelled for three hours without ceasing, as though outraged to find itself ejected into life. Two. Anna Gordon held her child to her breast, but she grieved while it drank, because of her man who had longed so much for a son. And seeing her grief, Sir Philip hid his chagrin, and he fondled the baby and examined its fingers. What a hand, he would say. Why, it's actually got nails on all its ten fingers. Little, perfect, pink nails. Then Anna would dry her eyes and caress it, kissing the tiny hand. He insisted on calling the infant Stephen, Nay more, he would have it baptised by that name. We've called her Stephen so long, he told Anna, that I really can't see why we shouldn't go on. Anna felt doubtful, but Sir Philip was stubborn, as he could be at times over whims. The vicar said that it was rather unusual, so to mollify him they must add female names. The child was baptised in the village church as Stephen Mary Olivia Gertrude, and she throve, seeming strong, and when her hair grew, it was seen to be auburn like Sir Philip's. There was also a tiny cleft in her chin, so small just at first that it looked like a shadow, and after a while, when her eyes lost the blueness that is proper to puppies and other young things, Anna saw that her eyes were going to be hazel, and thought that their expression was her father's. On the whole, she was quite a well-behaved baby, owing, no doubt, to a fine constitution. Beyond that first energetic protest at birth, she had done very little howling. It was happy to have a baby at Morton, and the old house seemed to become more mellow as the child, growing fast now and learning to walk, staggered or stumbled or sprawled on the floors that had long known the ways of children. Sir Philip would come home all muddy from hunting and would rush into the nursery before pulling off his boots, then down he would go on his hands and knees while Stephen clambered onto his back. Sir Philip would pretend to be well cornered up, bucking and jumping and kicking wildly, 
so that Stephen must cling to his hair or his collar and thump him with hard little arrogant fists. Anna, attracted by the outlandish hubbub, would find them and would point to the mud on the carpet. She would say, Now, Philip, now, Stephen, that's enough. It's time for your tea, as though both of them were children. Then Sir Philip would reach up and disentangle Stephen, after which he would kiss Stephen's mother. 3. The son that they waited for seemed long a coming. He had not arrived when Stephen was seven, nor had Anna produced other female offspring. Thus Stephen remained cock of the roost. It is doubtful if any only child is to be envied, for the only child is bound to become introspective. Having no one of its own ilk in whom to confide, it is apt to confide in itself. It cannot be said that at seven years old the mind is beset by serious problems, but nevertheless it is already groping. Nature